Amen, church. Thank you for giving. Can we just clap? I don't normally do this, but I feel, I feel a sense that we need to respond to that word. So if you would just stand to your feet, let's just give God a, a round of applause that he is worthy of our praise, that he gave the gift that we could never do for ourselves, that his sacrifice has laid a victory for us, amen, that he has gone before us, that he stands beside us, that he is our front and our rear guard, that this is our God that we get to give to, that he is awesome and worthy of praise. This morning we worship you, Jesus. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, God. Amen. Hey, welcome to church. (laughs) Well, my name is Miata, and I'm on staff here at Grace, and it is an honor and a privilege to be with you this morning. Um, You know, Thanksgiving is over, and now we get to talk about my favorite holiday ever, Christmas. Let's go. Who already has their Christmas tree up? Yeah, mine's going up today. Um, I get to listen to all the Christmas carols I want. Now I can watch Countdown to Christmas on the Hallmark Channel. Yes. If you couldn't tell, I'm an old lady inside. But um, (laughs) I want to start off by talking about a Christmas story about Minnie Miata and Santa. So I was right around the the age where... um, kids in school start ruining the joy of Christmas, (laughs) and the older kids start telling the younger kids that Santa doesn't exist, and I was still a Santa believer at the time, Um, but they had created just enough doubt in my mind that I was like, I'm going to find out for myself, and so being the mini investigator that I was at the time, I was obsessed with MacGyver, so... um, If you don't, yes, I'm old enough to know MacGyver. If you don't know MacGyver, (laughs) Google it. He's awesome. Um, But I was like, this is the perfect time to see if this is real. Um, So I decided I'm going to get up at midnight. I'm going to go and see who's putting the gifts under the tree, whether it's um, my mom, like they said it was, or if it's really Santa. Um, So we spent Christmas every single year with our uncle in Long Island, New York, um, and they had a split-level home. So you could see the living room from where the bedroom's portion was. So I woke up at midnight, and I took my little eight-year-old body, um, and I saw someone creeping in a red suit. I rubbed my eyes. I ran back to my room before he could see me. And I just remember laying there and like crying (laughs) and thinking, oh my gosh, it's true. I believed all the rumors are true. I'm going to tell them. Um, I believe for a reason. Why? Because I had seen it with my own two eyes right? It was better than any gift I would receive. It was the gift that what I had believed about this fictional man was true. He did come to bring gifts to children, wishes only he knew, so only he could fulfill. I remember waking up the next day and every single gift felt so much more special. Like it was the person behind the Barbie and the toy kitchen. (laughs) Later on, I would find out it was my uncle who was dressed up in um, the suit, but whatever. That, (laughs) it was a distinct um, memory from my childhood. 
And now I don't remember most of the gifts that I received during those years of my childhood, but I do remember the sense of excitement on Christmas morning and waiting all year to receive what I could only hope and wish for, right? It's a fond memory because it's linked to this sense of fulfillment of my beliefs and all my hopes. Um, And it's this sense of wonder and excitement, right? It's the reason why we're all doing the elf on the shelf right now. Is anybody doing that with their kids? Yeah, okay, we got one. Um, Because we're all trying to recapture that excitement and that thrill of hope. That what if, what if it's true? Even um, there is someone who sees me, who knows me, and gives good gifts, even beyond what I deserve. And that's why we celebrate Advent and Christmas as a church, because we know that the rumors are true, and that our hopes are true, and it's not in a fictional man, but it's founded in Christ. That we joyfully, yeah, we can clap for that. (laughs) That we joyfully celebrate that he did come, and that he is coming again, um, and that Jesus is the actual fulfillment of all of our hopes and our beliefs. He's the only gift that we don't outgrow and never is dated, right? But how often do we reject and never see the gift coming? We never see Christ coming. We never think that it's the best gift that we actually could receive and the best gift that we could give to somebody. So today we're going to talk about the best, the greatest gift ever, better than a new car on Christmas, an Oprah-type gift. Um, It's that God promised to Israel and to us by extension. It's not what they expected to hear, but it was everything that they needed. So I've entitled this message today, Embracing the Unexpected. And the two points are an unexpected king and an unexpected kingdom. And we'll be looking at the scripture, Isaiah 9, verse 6 through 7. Now, we do something um, at Sterling that I would love to do today. And I'm sure the people that are come to 1245 are like, this girl has me standing, sitting, standing, sitting. What am I, in an Episcopal church? But I would love for us to stand today with the reading of the word of God. Amen. So it's going to be on the screen behind me. Um, And we'll just read it to get today. So it says, for a child is born, come on, a son will be given to us and the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning um, that your word is living and alive and active. Jesus, I thank you that you are the greatest gift we will ever receive, God. And you're not just a distant God. You are ever present. You are Emmanuel, God with us. And as we um, focus on your word this morning, God, I pray that the ever-present Savior would... um, make himself, reveal himself to us today, that our hearts would be awakened to your nearness, that our eyes would be open to see you more clearly, and that we would receive you with open hands and open hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. 
Now, I know these verses um, are the Christmas anthem. We say them over and over and over again this time of year. But like most things that we become too familiar with, sometimes they lose their relevance and they lose their meaning. So I would love to take a look at them again today, but from a different perspective, um, a perspective that will prepare our hearts for Christmas. Now, a little backstory about Isaiah and the people of Israel and why this is the greatest promised gift that they could have received at the time and even for us today. So Isaiah is very interesting because if you've ever read the book of Isaiah, it can be kind of consume, uh, confusing. Isaiah is a little bit, I like to call him a Yoda. Um, he, talks about, <laughs> he talks about the things happening. He talks, talks about the things to come. He, talk, he talks about the things to come, come, the eternal things. And you're not really sure when, he, when he's talking about either three. Um, but as we look back on this story, we see that Isaiah is a prophet. In the Old Testament, Um, prophets were the primary people that God used to confront the people, their leaders, with God's commands and his promises. Isaiah was prophesying at one of the most tumultuous times of Israel and Judah. And when we get to this chapter in Isaiah, Isaiah 9, it's written when one of the worst kings is in power. His name is King Ahaz. Um, This king is crazy. Even though he's from the lineage of David, he does all of the opposite things that David does. He relies on himself. um, He makes alliances with world powers. um, He brings in um, idol worship into Israel. He sacrifices children to these idols. Um, It's a horrible time. And not only that, but later on, we would see that his alliance with the Assyrians would ultimately be the devastation of Israel. The occupation and invasion of the Assyrians would completely devastate and displace two people groups. Well, the entire entire, um, people group. The point is, the Israelites were in the middle of their worst nightmare. Their politicians were fighting and making poor decisions. Their economy was crashing and they were facing constant threat of war and invasion and devastation. And they were a people who were living in fear. They couldn't see their way out. Their king had let them down, and they were really bracing themselves for the worst. Um, it's in the midst of that reality, a reality they brought on themselves. How many of us are like, there's things that happen upon us, and it's like, there's things that I put myself in this position, <laughs> and they definitely put themselves in this position. Um, But the prophet prophesies hope. In the midst of devastation, in the midst of something that they brought on themselves, God was saying, there is hope. He says, I know what you're experiencing and what you have experienced. You think that this is the end for you, and you don't see your way out of it, but God is going to come through better than you expect or could even hope for. The crazy thing is we are Israel. We've made a mess of our government, our cities, our schools, um, and we put our hopes in the wrong things and let that disappointment mark our expectation, even in God sometimes. And Isaiah 9 is saying that the promise for us today is that no matter what kind of mess you find yourself in, or even despite your disappointments, God will come through. And he's better than you've experienced, and he's better than even what you expect. But the king they were expecting was um, 
just like the other kings. Uh, they, they thought that they were going to have a king who would annihilate their enemies, their physical enemies, and bring them security for a temporal period of time. But we'll see in the coming sections of this verse who they wanted and what was promised would be two different things. What was promised was more than they expected or could hope for. Now, this is just an aside, but sometimes the borders of our hope is lined with what we have experienced in the past. We don't know to to think of something greater because we've only built boundaries in what we've experienced, right? So they've built boundaries in what they experienced. God has sent judge after judge and king after king. So they're thinking, okay, surely he's going to send us another judge. He's going to send us another king. These are the boundaries of my expectation for God. But what I found in my own life is God is constantly rewriting my expectations of who he is to me, for me, and through me. Amen. He is exactly who he says he is, but he's never who I expect or want him to be. That there is a lowercase g God that I think I need. And then there's a capital G God that I truly need. That sometimes he is more concerned with molding me into his image than he is in making me into the image I desire. We do it all the time. And that brings me to our first point, unexpected king. Not the king you would expect. This king would be everything the world desperately needed and hoped for, yet nothing the world expected. You know, um, I would expect a 6'7 warrior type, um, LeBron James, power forward, come on. And, And God gave them a child who can do nothing for them. The most vulnerable of humanity is what God gave them. I would expect a four star general and they got a servant carpenter. Because every single king that they that met their requirements in man's eyes failed God failed failed them but the king that God would give them would meet his standards and bring about everlasting peace the gift they wanted was a stable government some security, some walls, you know, some, some fences. And for people who lived in a constant state of fear, that was the best they could hope for. And Isaiah's prophecy promised them more than that, that God wasn't just going to send them another king and another judge. He was going to send them himself. And this king is unfailing, And his kingdom is unfading, and it's imperishable when all they have known is death, defeat, and failure. So we see the scripture in verse 6. It starts with, a child is given, a child is born, and a son is given. One of the first things that God wants us to know is he gives this to us. It's not something we've earned It's not something um, we deserve. It's a gift that he freely gives to us. And what I was struck by is that I've read this scripture a thousand times. Uh, Every single Christmas, this is something that we read. But I was astounded by the graciousness of God, 
that even here he was saying, I'm giving you myself. We see a child, which is the humanity, and we see a son, which is divinity. So right here is the Godhead coming down in the son, and we see human, the humanity of God. Um, What I realize is our faith is founded on these two being married, right? If Jesus was only God, then he couldn't sympathize with our humanity. He wouldn't know what it feels like to go through pain and through shame and do it blamelessly. If he was only man, then he would have to deal with his own sin and not take on our sin as well. He couldn't be the, imper- the perfect sacrifice for us. So right here, we're, God is saying, for you, I'm going to show that in every way that Adam broke us, broke our um, unity with God, broke our unity with each other, broke our unity with the earth, I'm going to fulfill every single thing. I'm going to show you what it looks like to walk in humanity, to walk in relationship with God, right relationship, to walk in right relationship with man, and to walk in a healing power that heals the earth. And then on the other hand, he was saying, and I'm going to do this as myself because I'm the only one who can do this. I'm the only one who can resolve this. Like, um, you know, when Abraham, he made, uh, God made a covenant with Abraham and he cut the, the, uh, the sacrifices and he himself walked through it. And he said, I'm going to hold myself to this covenant. If it doesn't happen, it's going to be on me. If it does happen, it's going to be on me. That's what God is doing here. He's saying, the sacrifice for your sin is going to be on me. The victory is going to be on me. You don't have to do it. You don't have to power it up. I'm going to accomplish this by my own hand and by my own might. You can rest. Now it says the government shall be on his shoulders. I love this because Pastor Stephen said um, the last service who is the only one who can, has the, the strength and can shoulder the world's pain and shame? And not only that, our success, our striving, there is nobody. All of us fall under the crushing pressure of our own thoughts and our own strivings and our own things that we need to deal with. The only one who can give us rest and can actually carry it and carry it well is Christ And so he's saying, hey, here for you today, all those worries, you don't have to carry it on your own. You can give it to me and I can shoulder it. But what kind of kingdom and and what kind of government? For Israel, you can almost always tell what kind of king and government they're going to have based on the character of the king. So Isaiah is saying, don't be afraid. This king that is coming will be one marked by who he is. He is a wonderful counselor. He is mighty. He will be your prince of peace. And he is an everlasting father. These aspects of his character will define who he is and how he rules you. It'll be unlike any other king you've experienced. In every way you've experienced disappointment and lack, 
this king will be different. So why do we call him a wonderful counselor? The glory, so I want to break this up into two parts, wonderful and counselor. So the wonderful part is the glory of who he is and what he will do for us will leave us in amazement and wonder. Pastor Corey talked about that, a gift that stuns you. They expected a king who would secure their borders, but this king would remove the threat of death and fear and turn their hearts of stone into a heart of flesh. What is more wonderful than your shame and your pain being removed? I'm struck, I'm, you know, I'm a crier, so I'm probably going to cry. Um, I'm struck every single day that I am no longer in the kingdom of darkness, that he has transferred me to the kingdom of light. That I am a daughter and an heir, and you are a son and you are an heir. How do you make a beggar a son? Only God can. And that's why he's wonderful. And he fills us with wonder. Now it says that the Messiah is our counselor. Jesus is the only one fit to guide our lives. You know, in 1 Corinthians um, one twenty-five, it says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. I went to the doctor a couple of years ago. I had vocal nodules. And it's so funny. I told this story, um, and I, ref- I referenced Julie Andrews. And everybody looked at me like, who is she? Um, <laughs> Julie Andrews is the voice of sound, the sound of music. Um, and she had vocal nodules. And so at the time, the surgeries that they could do, um, she did surgery on her voice. It was very, very hard, but she lost her singing voice because of that surgery. So everybody who's a worship leader or singer is afraid of vocal nodules because you're just thinking, oh my God, this could be the end for me. Um, So I went to doctor after doctor, and they all did what they could. Um, And finally, they told me what was wrong. That was great. But they didn't give me any solutions. So I went to a doctor at Johns Hopkins whose um, reputation preceded him. He was known to not only treat what was wrong, but to treat what was wrong behind what was wrong. Um, So I got there, and he diagnosed me with silent acid reflux. And he said, that's the reason why you're having vocal nodules. Um, And I realized that's what a wonderful counselor does, right? He diagnoses the issue, but he diagnoses the issue behind the issue And then he is the solution to the issue and the issue behind the issue. (laughs) Okay, hello, amen. (laughs) But not only is his counsel wonderful, but he is mighty. He's mighty to save. Now, this is a people who are under occupation. And all they've known are the stories of old. God rescued the people of Israel out of Egypt, and he did it with a staff and using Moses. And, but that was hundreds of years before this time. And God was reminding them, just like I was mighty to save then, and I could lead you out of captivity and lead you into the promised land, I am the same yesterday, today, 
and forevermore. And I'm still mighty to save. And I will rescue you. And sometimes we think that mighty to save is, I, I know I think about this, like I, I pray prayers like, God, rapture me, take me now, take this, leave me, let this thing go right now in the name of Jesus. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm being 100% honest, and maybe you do the same thing, um, but I'm learning that God's strength is not just strong enough to remove something immediately from you, but he's mighty to sustain you. Amen? And then it goes on to say he's an everlasting father. For the last hundreds of years of Israel's history, they haven't had a lot of fathers. They've had a lot of bad kings who have led them down wrong paths and have not protected them, have not provided for them, have not given them security. And he's saying, I am going to be a father to you, not just a king who's good to provide, um, to protect, but I'm going to be a father who will lead you tenderly with compassion and patience, and wisdom. And isn't that the kind of father we, we all want? We don't just want someone who is a rule maker but doesn't know us, who just lays out guidelines but isn't intimately involved in our lives and in what's happening in our circumstances. And God was saying, I'm not just going to be one of those gods that you go to that doesn't hear you, that doesn't know you, and you just give sacrifices to. No, I'm a God who's intimately involved with your every day. And I'm going to do that forever, everlasting, eternal father. And he's the prince of peace. Most of the human kings that they um, lived with believe that peace was the absence of war. But they didn't know what peace looked like in the midst of war. To this king, peace is the absence of the war that wages in our hearts and our soul. He was going to show what it looks like to have peace in your heart even though everything is going wrong around you. Why? Because most of the time, the enemy isn't just out there. It's in here. And he was going to deal with the enemy in here first and then deal with the enemy that's out there. He was going to bring peace between us and God. Now, their years of rebellion and um, disobedience had led them to have enmity between them and God. There was no bridge, there was not enough sacrifices, there was not enough things they could do to have peace, everlasting peace. And Christ was going to be their everlasting peace, the bridge between them and God forever. No longer would they need a mediator, no longer would they have to cloak themselves and maybe be afraid of dying in the holies of holies, but they could actually enter in like we can every single Sunday it's because of the peace purchased for us through Christ. Amen. So 
I read this quote by John Calvin, and it's really long, um, and it kind of has old English, but I feel like it wraps up everything that we, the four names that God calls himself. So it says, whenever, in short, it appears to us that everything is in ruinous condition, let us recall our remembrance that Christ is called wonderful. Because he has inconceivable methods of assisting us, and because his power is far beyond what we are able to conceive, when we need his counsel, let us remember that he is a counselor. When we need strength, let us remember that he is mighty and strong. When new terrors spring up suddenly every instant, and when there are death when death threatens us from various quarters, let us rely on that eternity of which he is with good reason called a father. And by the same comfort, let us learn to soothe all temporal distresses when we are inwardly tossed by various tempests and when Satan attempts to disturb our consciences, let us remember that Christ is the prince of peace and that it is easy for him quickly to allay any uneasy feelings. Thus, with these titles, confirm us more and more in the faith of Christ and that we are fortified in Christ against Satan and hell himself. That's powerful. But I have a question for us this morning. What ways have you experienced God as your father, as your peace, as your strength, or as your counselor. If you haven't, I ask you today to challenge yourself to pray, God, reveal yourself in these ways to me. Now, when I was in college, I had a campus minister who talked to us about praying for our future husband. Now, I'm still praying for it, but, you know, you can pray with me too. Um, <laughs> she would write letters to her future husband, and she made a list and encouraged us to do the same. Um, I remember going back to my dorm and making a list, and that list was 30 characters deep. When we came back to our small group, we all had our lists of the perfect spouse, and all of them were shallow. You know, everybody wants a LeBron and a 6'4", and hers was really interesting. And I remember one quality that she put on there. She says she wanted a man whose reputation preceded him like Stephen in the Bible. It was right then that I realized that my list was pretty much my latest crush and not exactly a man after God's own heart. And I would miss a man after God's own heart if I was looking to approve him based off of my list. How many times do we miss God looking for him in a different package or expecting him to come exactly as we prescribed? One of the scariest verses in the Bible to me is um, when the wise men come and they, they say, tell us where the Messiah is born. We saw his star um, and we have come to worship him. And Herod's like, wait, what? Oh, snap. Let me call all the wise men in my council who study the Bible every day. And they say, oh, yeah, he is to be born here. Yeah. 
They were so busy. <laughs> That's right. You're right. Um, they were so busy doing whatever, looking for God to be a six foot seven power forward, that they missed God and what he was doing right there in their midst. I don't want to miss God. I want to be found actively seeking and looking for the movement of God in my life. And I don't want to miss him because I'm looking for him to move in a certain way or be a certain thing or live up to my human prescribed list. Now, Isaiah goes on to say, hey, don't worry about it. I'm going to give you an actual criteria so that when this king and this kingdom comes, you'll be able to recognize it. He says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it. Now, David was the best of us, right? We, um, we only put people in positions that we think represent us well. Yes. Like Pastor Brett is my pastor because he is the best of us. Like he, he does everything right. He's great. He wears a bow tie. Like he's, he's just perfect in all his ways. <laughs> but that was the same way that they felt about King David. He was the best of them. He did everything the way that God would want um, a king to rule, to reign, but from Solomon on down, we see that the kings did not continue in the ways of God. And that's why Israel ended up in the mess they were in. And God is saying here in verse 7, I have not forgotten the promise I made to your father David, that there would be a righteous king who would lead with my heart and with my hand and bring about unprecedented peace. And unlike the human kings, where often righteousness and justice ends with them and ends with their death, this king will reign forever and his kingdom will have no end. In every way that David failed and Adam failed, Jesus would fulfill. He would be the father they needed, the security they needed, the peace they needed, the counsel they needed. And what I love about the gospel that is it's not about trying harder. It's about trusting harder. Trusting that he is the better king and relinquishing the rights to our lives and our stories to someone who rules better. The truth is we make terrible kings. We are terrible leaders of our own lives. Like we make bad mistakes. We can only see as far as our hand. Like I'm blind I'm not blind, but if I take off my glasses, it looks like a blob. And I really can only, I can barely see this, oh God. But I can, I can only see as far as my hand is in front of us. And for most of us, that's the way that we lead our lives. We cannot see further than the step in front of us. But God is saying that, like what it looks like when I put my glasses on, I can see all the people up in the back, I know what's happening because there's a timer. I know what's happening in the parking lot. I see all of the things that you don't see. And I'm better equipped to lead your life than you are. Amen. So in conclusion, as I close, Darian, 
Yay! <laughs> this is my guy. Okay. I just want to challenge us this morning to embrace the unexpected this season. That maybe God is showing up in your situation in ways that you, um, you're not recognizing yet. He's trying to reveal himself to you as, a, as peace in the middle of your chaos, but you're waiting to be removed from the chaos. He wants to show you that he can sustain you, that he can uphold you, that he is the same God today as he was yesterday, and he is mighty to save. And if it's not good yet, he's not done yet. So would you pray with me? I just want to extend the greatest gift I've ever received from the greatest gift giver who's ever been. And his name is God. So Lord...